welcome back to another episode of the Celtic View podcast. We've got plenty to get through this week, just as we do in every week, because it was another successful weekend for Ange Postecoglou's side, and we have a big week of action to look forward to with a double header against Hearts. Uh, just a reminder for, for all those that are watching or listening, the podcast initially, when it came out at the start of the year, we weren't unfortunately on Spotify. However, for over the last month, We've now been on Spotify as well as in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and basically anywhere you, you can get your podcasts. So if you're watching on YouTube at the moment and you prefer to listen to us on, on one of those channels, then you can always catch us there and make sure you subscribe to those channels. But if not, and you're sticking with us on YouTube, then you'll get to see the faces of myself and Paul Cuddy. Paul, uh, how are you? Very well, very yeah. well. Yes, um, you are back in the studio this week uh, because... Last week you were away doing some filming. We had Caitlin Hayes in, who stepped in rather well. But um, yeah, you were away doing some some interesting filming. Yeah, well, I thought I thought Caitlin was a, an excellent guest, and you know, getting somebody that scored two goals in a derby game in was 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 great for the podcast. But yeah, I was on a road trip. Uh, we were heading down to Fleetwood to catch up with uh, the Celtic legend that is Scott Brown, who of course is manager there and you know as people have seen um from the website there's going to be a special event in may with scott brown and michael lustig an evening with the two of them probably a chance for the two of them to to say a proper goodbye to to the fans as well as as kind of reuniting they were obviously you know great teammates and great friends a great celtic night so we were down to to speak to scott about that and just find out how he's getting on at, at fleetwood and and he's absolutely loving life down there yeah, it's uh, brilliant to, to, to hear from him again and I'm sure it's going to be an amazing night, as you said, a real chance because obviously when, when Scott left he didn't have the chance to, to say goodbye to a full Celtic Park because of Covid so for both of those players that'll be that'll be brilliant for them and brilliant chance just for, for fans to get together. Hopefully at a point in the season where we're celebrating even more so it could be a just one big celebration. Yeah, and he, he did mention the fact he's not, he's obviously been back here as an Aberdeen player, which is a slightly different thing, but he's not really been back since. And I think obviously he wants to kind of keep his distance and, and allow the new manager and the new captain and everything, you know, just to get their place. So I think it's it's nice for him to, to come back to Glasgow, spend the night at, at the Hydro with, you know, in the company of, of, of a lot of friends. And I'm sure it'll be a great night, actually. Superb. Yeah, lots to look forward to there. And We've got lots to get into in this podcast. Just a, a run through of what's coming up. We'll of course be looking back on the match against St Mirren. Um, and that match, we, we hit 250 goals under the manager Ange Postecoglou. And you've had your say on your favourite goals during that time. So we'll get through all of them. We've got the big double header against Hearts coming up this week and Wednesday night in the league and then on Saturday in the Scottish Cup. And we're going to look back in some classic Scottish Cup matches against Hearts and we also have a snippet of an exclusive interview with Ross Wallace, our former academy player who, who came through the youth ranks and, and went on to win a, a couple of league titles for Celtic, which is, is going to come out as a full podcast later on this week. It was a, a really interesting chat and he had some brilliant stories, so we're going to give you some of that as well. So let's kick off though, Paul, with Sunday in Paisley, a 5-1 victory over St Mirren. In the end, it was a, a rather kind of comfortable afternoon, uh, an enjoyable afternoon. I think maybe a few people might have been <laughs> a bit worried during that first half. We were going to have another occasion at 
St Mirren and Paisley we weren't going to pick up all three points but uh, but yeah in the end we, we got the job done yeah I mean I was glad at the start of the game that there wasn't the, quite the same clash between mm-hmm. the kits that you know St Mirren were wearing the all black kit so you could, they were always distinctive they obviously get the early penalty and you know certainly at, at St Mirren you know they are quite a tough team to beat there were some key moments in the game that penalty for them the other the other key moment in the first half was you know, going down to 10 men. Uh, I still quite, can't quite believe why we didn't, our penalty was rescinded for that. It was quite strange. But as you say, the second half, um, it was just, you know, it's, I think even the St Man manager said after the game, it's, it's hard enough to play Celtic when you've got 11. When you're playing 10, it's well nigh impossible. And, and you know, you saw, I think you saw, again, another example of the, the great strength of this squad that the managers assembled that, the players that are on the pitch that he picks at the start have so many attacking options, but then he can bring these other guys on from the bench who makes such an impact as well. And it's a real squad effort. And again, everybody that either started or came on played their part. Alistair Johnson said after the match that as a full-back, he knows what that feeling's like when you've been going up against a winger for 60 minutes and might have got the better of you. And then you see the substitutes getting called and another winger comes on and you're thinking, oh my, I've got to deal with someone else now. And that's what we have at this moment. Half-time, Leal Abada comes on. He makes such a big difference in that match, as well as all of the other substitutes as well. I think three of the substitutes scored goals and Abada, O'Reilly and O. And it was just a case that, as you said, when St Mirren went a man down, once we got that first goal, you sense the floodgates were maybe going to start to open then and it was just a case of, of getting that one. Yeah, and I thought it was a great goal. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's not going to be, it's not going to win goal of the season. It's going to be spe- spectacular. But I thought for Jota to finish from the, the position he found himself in the ground, I thought it was extraordinary. And I thought, again, you could see, you know, he, he, he was barely celebrating. It was more a case of, like, let's get back and get the game started again, which again is testament to the attitude there. Aaron Moy was was had a hand, seemed to hand in just about everything that we did in terms of creativity. Jesus. Yeah, Alistair Johnson, who I think's you know, quickly becoming a, a fan's favourite, gets his first goal as well. And, you know, it was so many positives. And again, it's, as you mentioned, just in the introduction, you know, it's now 250 goals in 99 games. I mean, that is just extraordinary. I know. I would love to actually do a comparison to see how that ranks up against other managers in our history as well, to see if it's if it's right up there, because it feels like it, it would be. Um, I was so happy that Jota actually was the one to score, because he seemed to be getting quite a bit of stick off the St Mirren fans during the match, and I think at times he was trying things, he was trying flicks, and it just wasn't working at all. But this team doesn't get frustrated. They stay calm, they stay composed, they know what they need to do, and they get it done. Um, just some of the talking points in that match, you, you mentioned the, the VAR uh, incident as well. Um, maybe we don't have to get too much into that because there's a lot of positives in the game. But again, from my point of view, I had no understanding as to how they can overturn that because it's not a clear and obvious error. You can see it's the foul still going into the box. But even if it's just marginal, stick with the referee's decision on the pitch. But I, I think the incident itself shows and you know the manager um obviously Kyogo's goals get all the headlines but he's always emphasizing actually the amount of work that he does and you can see that because of his pace and the pressure he puts on the back for that's a defender 
was so conscious of the fact that Kyogo was breathing down his neck and it kind of forced him into an error. And you see that all the time that, you know, the, the goalkeeper or the back line of the opposition are always having to rush their clearances because, you know, Kyogo's always pressing or Maeda's always pressing the pace up front. And so, you know, obviously we didn't get the penalty, but it was the it was the pressure that Kyogo puts on defenders. So they've got half a mind thinking, mate, I know he's right there. And it just forces, a, an, it's an unforced error. And then mm. obviously, as soon as they get out of 10 minutes, I think the result's inevitable. Yeah, I think it's a, a sign in Sunday of what's been really impressive about the team is we obviously talk about the strength and depth and players coming off the bench and making an impact. But throughout this season so far, you'll have periods where you think, okay, that's the best starting living at this moment in time, or you might say that's your best front three at this moment in time. And then all of a sudden, you know, Abad has been coming on recently and he's been scoring goals and you're thinking, oh, maybe he's the one that gets into that that front three. And then Aaron Moy's been amazing and now in the last few weeks, Matt O'Reilly's been coming in and scoring goals and you're, you've constantly got players that are just pushing each other and pushing each other. and. It's obviously a brilliant headache for the manager. He doesn't call it a headache. He, he thinks it's obviously amazing to have all these players in, in, so many, in so much form, but they just keep pushing each other to another level, which is amazing to see. I also think it's, it's testament to the attitude of the players because you'll have, you, know, you see other clubs and over time in, in football that you know, players that aren't getting a starting position, you know, maybe they, they go in the half or they, they, you know, they don't perform as well when they come on and the, the kind of sense of entitlement and this team seemed to be everything but that every player they've completely bought into the, the kind of philosophy and the culture that the managers sort of created at the club and so every player is going to play their part so you get the feeling that if you're not starting that you're encouraging the guys that are and then vice versa if you come on you know you're, you you need to make an impact and every player does I mean that's why you know to your point you know Alistair Johnson talking about how difficult it can be for defenders when suddenly things get changed up. Whenever we bring substitutes on, you, and you you always think the, the opposition must be thinking there's no respite because, as you say, you take Dizemaid off, you bring Leila Bad on, you take Aaron Moy off, you bring Matt O'Reilly on or whoever, and it, it it doesn't weaken the side in the slightest. It's just you know, and then it's almost like we get renewed energy from these guys, and and that's why we. I think part, that's part of the reason why every game we seem to finish really, really strongly as well. Mm-hmm. O's goal, the fifth goal, marked 250 under the manager in 99 games, which is just an incredible achievement. So we decided to open the floor to yourselves as fans to get your opinion and what your favourite goal has been out of those 250. Obviously a lot to choose from, but some, some brilliant moments. So we took to Twitter to ask you, and I've got a long list here. I want to get through as many of them as possible because we had such a good response. Um, <clears throat> so we've got Tim McFly said, Kyogo's versus Ferenc Faros, the pass, the first touch, the finish. Alex Anderson said, Kyogo making it 2-2 Ibrooks because after a very soft penalty, followed by Goldson getting away with two handballs in the box, um, losing that game would have been a huge injustice. Craig <laughs> um, O'Neill says, Jota's goal in the 4-0 game is my favourite, just sublime. Um, Alex OD 2002, he said, Jota's winner at Pataudry in October 2021. We've never looked back since. So, you know, some people are picking goals for the the moment and some are picking them for, for what it meant as well. Um, Duffy Kalen, my favourite is Kyogo's second goal against Hibs in the cup final because of the way Roger passed the ball quickly and the way he handled the ball over the top was class. 
Joe Brown, CCV at Ibrooks. The game we beat them 2-1. Uh, a few more as well. Got Kyogo 3-2 up against Dundee United after they just equalised. That was this season. Daniel says, Danielle says lesser teams would have dropped points. Um, I've got Thomas Mackay saying my favourite is Kyogo's against AZ Alkmaar at home last season. The flying volley. That's when I knew he was something else. We've got Yakimakis against St Johnston. We've got Abada against Rangers. Hatate at Tynecastle from Ryan Todd. Um, Abada's last minute winner against Sunday United. And then, of course, tons of people saying Anthony Nelson's away to Ross County. So I thought there's plenty to choose from there. Maybe we could pick our favourites. Maybe we could come up with a, a top three Um a couple of notable ones that weren't mentioned. I don't know if anyone did mention Atati's, any Atati's goals against Rangers. Um, I can remember a David Turnbull goal against Motherwell last season. And then, of course, Tom Rodgers, which won the Premiership goal of the, mm. the season last year away to Dundee yeah. United as well. So there's plenty, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple there that were mentioned. Kyogo's second goal. In fact, both these goals in the League Cup final last mm-hmm. year were exceptional. Um, but I think the second one, that lob was just breathtaking. Um I think Anthony Ralston's I mean he scored he scored some good goals last season actually, yeah. but that, that one at Ross County again just epitomised uh, what he's about but also what we're about. And the the first one that did come to mind for me was Hatati's second goal in the, the three 0 victory over Rangers last season. Just the I mean I think you could see there was something special but that night he was just exceptional and it was the way, the, it was the, the quick passing between O'Reilly and, and Abada, but it was the way he just took a touch and with no backlift, just just glided it beyond the goalkeeper. I, I, I thought it was just, it was a perfect finish for me. Yeah, so when you're thinking of your favourite goal, do you think of, because a lot of people here have picked, you know, moments, obviously Anthony Ralston's goal is the moment, scoring the 96th minute. Abad is against Dundee United again. Yakimakis against St Johnson, the 96th minute this season. Do you think of that, or do you think more about the, the strike when you're trying to pick a favourite? Generally, if it's the favourite, I would I would say it would be the strike, or the, you know, obviously you can get a good team goal. I think sometimes that's different from what the most significant, because yeah. you know, I think the, the, the supporter that mentioned the Jota goal up at Pataudry that month, where we had some really tough games. I think we were at Easter Road, we were at Pataudry, we were at Fir Park. And that game at Aberdeen, absolutely right. From the moment that we won that game, we were almost unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it almost as if it was that day that everything seemed to click with the players, like, we are good enough, or we are the best team and we're going to win this. And, and we didn't look back. But it is, it's, that was in terms of significance, and there was other last-minute goals as well. But for just... For me, generally a favourite goal, it's something, you know, you, you remember it for something of beauty. Yeah. In terms of, if we look more specifically at the, the goals of significance, uh, yeah, Joe Brown was talking about Cameron Carter-Vickers at Ibrooks. That was a, a goal which gave us a victory there and almost made it our lead kind of unassailable at the top. Um, the Yakimakis won this season. We mentioned that St Johnson was a big one, having St Johnson just equalised in stoppage time. Um, but I think that one, the badder one against Dundee United, remember that well because I believe that morning in the lunchtime game, Rangers conceded in the stoppage time against Ross County away from home to drop points. We're, our next game was then against Rangers and that, that match we won 3 0 here at Celtic Park. So you're going into that thinking, right, get a victory against Dundee United, 
then you can go into that game against Rangers with a chance to win, to then go top. And for so long, I was thinking, oh, here we go, we're going to draw. And then in the 90th minute, to score, a bad at a place went wild. And I remember that the images afterwards where there was just this like connection between the players and the fans. They were jumping into the crowd and it was just an absolutely amazing occasion. And I think that's what then set up that Derby game, the, the 3-0 one as well, uh, just a few days after that. So some really, some really big ones. But if I were to ask you, you can go for a top three if you want or you can just go for a favourite for your favourite favourite goals in those 250? The, I mean, the Hitati, Hitati's second goal in the, the 3-0 against Rangers last season, I think for me, is the one that that sticks out. And I, I was, as I say, it was maybe just the first sign. He scored that brilliant goal against Hearts at Tencastle prior to that as well, but the, maybe just another sign that we just had somebody a bit special mm -hmm. that, that, that the manager had brought in. Yeah, because see, it. I really, really like Jota's goal against Rangers this season as well. And well do you know, because the other thing I think is really great, Jota's goal is just, as a thing of beauty, O'Reilly's pass through is just unbelievable. I love Jota's celebration. That's why, that's part of the reason why I love Hitati's, because he, he just kind of, you could he could say, well, does he he's quite realise, it's kind of like Lubo Moravchik when he scored against Rangers the first time, but it was almost as if he was like, you know, that's what I do. It yeah. was just so cool, and I thought, <laughs> yeah, he's he's a bit special, that boy. Yeah, I, I think someone mentioned in that game they liked a, a bad as goal, the third one, just because of the, the euphoria, because we just scored to make it 2-0, and then you're thinking, God, going on 2-0 at half-time, and then a bad scores a few minutes after that as well. And then You can remember the occasion inside the stadium where everyone was just in disbelief of being like, what is going on here? And we were just absolutely on fire. Um but yeah, I really like Jota's, but I like Kyogo's one against Ferenc Varos. I'd noted that one down as well for the pass from Jota, the control, the finish. But for me, I think it's Kyogo's against Hibs in the League Cup final. It just to, to come back from going a goal behind, his first goal was amazing, but his second one, I remember we had a brilliant view of it as well, sitting pretty much directly behind it, you saw the ball going over the top and you're thinking, he's not going to do this, is he? And he lifted it over him. And that way, we spoke about a few of these goals, recognising he had a special player. I think we knew before that Kyogo was special, but that was just another signpost of this guy is something else. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think again, that summed up the, the Celtic team and what the manager was trying to do because, you know, half the Hibs players were still complaining about the foul. or had their mm. backs turned. Tom Rogic had the presence of mind just to lift that ball over the top. It was kind of similar to their equaliser that we just, you know, Callum McGregor did the same thing and we just took them by surprise. But for Kyogo to run on to that and to do what he did, that was just breathtaking. Oh, some amazing goals to look back on there. Uh, some brilliant memories and I'm sure we're going to have plenty more and hopefully we can get a few more on Wednesday, Paul, because that's Celtic's next game. It will be the 100th game then in charge for the manager, Antoine Coglu, at home to Hearts, the first and a double header against them this week. Uh, it's always exciting when you get a double header. I think. I'm, no, I'm no, I don't. I'm not a big fan of them actually because I just I don't know if it slightly skews the second game, especially when it's away and it's a cup tie. It'll be a completely different game, um, and I think Hearts will play. You know, they obviously they come here and they'll maybe have a different att attitude and game plan to what they will have 
particularly being at home, but also a one-off cup tie, which yeah. will, is a really tough cup tie for us. It's probably as hard a, a draw that we could have got in, at this stage of the competition. But, uh, you know, we're at home. I mean, it is the, the cliched fortress uh, under the manager. I mean, it really is. You can't see anything but a, a home win on Wednesday night. No. The only reason I quite like when you get double headers is sometimes you get a bit of animosity that spills into the next game. Remember the time... Um, when Rory Dyla was in charge and we played like Dundee United four times in the space of ten oh, days. That was terrible. <laughs> uh, but the, but the, the last game, game everyone was getting sent off and oh, it, was, it was I think everybody was just fed up in the last <laughs> game. <laughs> but uh, and it's it's two clubs where there's there's not a lot of love between them either, so there might be a bit of animosity spilling into that next game anyway, or or the first game. I mean I know we always say and because we're going for the title the next game and, and the focus on will be on Wednesday night. But, you know, Hearts, I think, will finish comfortably third in the end. They are the third best team at the moment. I'm sure their focus is on the Cup mm. on Saturday because that is their only chance of a, a, a bit of silverware. Yeah, but as you mentioned, Fortress Parkhead, we've not managed to... We've never lost a game under the manager domestically at home, so what's the expectations that we'll, we'll turn up on Wednesday and, and win that game, even though, as you said, Hearts are third in the league for the... Second season in a row, strong team. They won three 0 at the weekend as well. And if you know if if any team's going to give you a threat out of the out of the, the league, then Hearts are going to be right up there in terms of one of them that, that can can pose that. But yeah, fully confident on Wednesday. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then that then leads to to Saturday in the cup, which cup games. The manager speaks about it. 90 minutes, anything can happen. You need to be right on top of your game to make sure you get into that next round and it's a place at Hamden that's up for grabs for whoever gets through as well. So, yeah, cup games always have a slightly different feel to them and, and heading through to Tynecastle as well. It's always a, a, a more difficult venue. We saw in the last game against them this season, that 4-3 game, which was... I, I barely could catch a breath at the end of that. I was sweating buckets at Tynecastle. Um That'd be an exciting one, won't it? Yeah, I mean, I think, as I say, I've, I've said it before, that players past and present like playing there. I think because of the style of the stadium, the fans are right on top of the ground. So it's always, and I think Celtic Hearts games, there is that kind of level of animosity. It's a, I mean, we go into every game now thinking, and you know, expecting to win because we're, we are just playing well. But, you know, the manager will make the point that if we don't turn up, then, you know, Hearts are capable of beating us. I don't think Hearts... I mean, they'd been going quite well, I think, until they played Rangers at home, and for some, for reasons that remain inexplicable, they think they changed the way they played and just tried to play primary school football and Charles through and should have lost. They lost three. They should have lost about eight now. I don't think they'll play like that at the weekend against us. I think one of the things that is different about this game is the fact because it's a cup tie, we get the whole stand behind the one of the goals. So I think the atmosphere is different because when we will have many more fans, I think it'll be a brilliant atmosphere. I think it'll, you know, you know, it's a winner take all thing. So I think Hearts will have a real go, but I just think we are. I think every team thinks that if we have a go at Celtic too much, they're going to absolutely tear us apart. But mm -hmm. yeah, I think we've got too much in our, in our armory for them. Yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to it. Um, I thought it'd be a good chance to look back in some some classic Scottish Cup ties against Hearts. We've had a few over the years, and I picked out four of them for us to kind of go through. And again. I want us to pick our, our favourites out of these four. Um, 
the first one is uh, was a 1988 Scottish Cup semi-final. Did you just is... pick that because you knew I'd be old enough to remember? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you're going to have to explain that one to me. 2-1 um, in that day, which obviously we then go on to, to win the final in the centenary. That, that was one of the games that kind of sort of symbolised the centenary season and that team that just never gave up. And I was at the time I was working in a sports shop in the centre of Glasgow, so I managed to get away at one o'clock and went to the, to the game. Um, and then I didn't manage to meet up with my pals beforehand, so I just watched the game at Hamden, and then I was heading back into town to meet them. And I always remember that game where coming back in, and for people who don't know, we were losing 1-0 going into injury time, or however long that would be, and we scored two goals to get through, and I think it you know, it was one of the many times that hearts were left heartbroken mm -hmm. at Celtic. It was, and it was amazing the way that we did it, it, you know. And I think even for people that were there, even though we were at the end of the 90 minutes, you didn't know how long was going to be added, you still had a feeling that that team was not going to get beat and they just they showed it. But after the game, I was walking back through the centre of Glasgow and uh, this family were walking past and they sent one of the kids up just to find because they saw me with the scarf and asked what the score was and I said oh Celtic 1-2-1 and the woman actually started having a go at me saying that was terrible to like the children because they'd obviously heard Celtic were losing 1-0 at the end of the game and she thought I was just making it up I was saying no we, d we definitely did um, but that was the that centenary season that, that was just epitomised under Big Billy the never say die attitude and that was and that kind of I'm not sure if it was that game because Celtic fans used to chant Henry, Henry, drop the ball. The Henry Smith, who was a Hearts goalkeeper, because he kind of fumbled one of the for one of the goals. I don't know if it, it was that game or it was other ones where he had he'd made a mistake. But that was a chant. But that was a that was a great day. <laughs> and because yeah, of what it brought after it as well, of yeah. then playing Dundee United in the final and and winning the cup in the centenary year. Um, next one was, I think it, I don't know if it was the last time, but at Tyne Castle it might not have been for a Scottish Cup game. I think we may have played there once since then. Um, it was 2013 and a 7-0 win at Tynecastle, which I'm sure we'd all take <laughs> this Saturday as well. I think we were 5-0 up at half-time, which was sealed by an absolute screamer from Mikael Lustig um, and two from Scott Brown that day as well. So maybe that's something they'll talk about in their, <laughs> in their evening in May. Um, but again, that was just an, another brilliant day. It was just an absolute thrashing. Yeah, I mean, we just totally blew them away and... I think Tyne Castle was one of those places that Scott Brown loved playing at because obviously he wasn't among friends for his for his obvious Hibs connection. Lee Griffiths was another one that they used to love playing through there and, you know, had some good results. But that was I mean, that was probably probably took everybody by surprise because it is always a tough place to go to, you know, for a whole variety of reasons. But that night we were just uh, Hearts just couldn't live with it. Yeah, it's one of my standout memories of Mikel Lustig as well, that goal he scored, and <laughs> almost like the surprise in everyone's face <laughs> he managed to. Yeah. yeah. Um, the next one, so the next two are both Scottish Cup finals, two of the more recent ones. Um, 2019 one, and then the COVID delayed 2021, the, the three each game. I mean, I think that 2 that one game to seal the, the treble treble. That's the thing that goes against the one in, in 2020, the fact there was no fans there to see us win the quadruple treble. Um, and that match it was three each, and then we won in penalties. But the 2019 one, where you had half Hearts fans there, half Celtic fans there, Hearts go 1-0 up, you're in the stand going, are we going to blow us? Are we going to let this slip away? And then in the second half, Edward scores the winner. And that's... 
that joy is kind of rivaled with the Aberdeen Cup final a couple of years before that when Tom Rodgick scored the winner. I can never really choose between the two when people ask in terms of like what one felt better or what moment did you did you feel the most because both of them were just exceptional but, but that one in particular in 2019 was amazing. Yeah, I mean for me Tom Rodgick, uh, the winner to, to win the Invincible treble was always, that's got to be up there for me, one of my you know favourite ever Celtic memories. But that game against Hearts, and again, I just remember it was Mikael Lustig played the header and it just broke through what had been a pretty tight Hearts defence, but for some reason they were kind of pulled out of position and the ball got through and there's, you know, that Edward's running onto it and there's just that moment, it's not quite time stands still, but everybody's just waiting because you know, you're expecting them to score because of his quality and then when he does, uh, you know, the treble treble, it was, I mean, those things are things that you dream of. Yeah, I know. And then to go and do it all again and, and win a, another treble. This time, as I said, though, unfortunately, there was, there was no, no fans in the stadium. And it's a shame because in terms of the actual contest on the day, three each and then to win it in penalties, it probably should go down there as one of the more exciting games. But It was a strange game, I mean, f for reasons that you said. It also came in the midst of what was yeah. a poor domestic campaign in terms of the league that season that we were kind of struggling. We'd be out of Europe with a lot of bad results. But we'd managed to get the obviously the semi-final and the final were delayed from the previous season, so it was quite strange. There was no fans there. The first half we, you know, just looked as if we were just going to run away with it, and then the second half yeah. it just seemed to all go wrong, and it could have gone either way. I mean, t to win it in penalties, but as I think for everybody, it's the strangest cup celebration because everybody's watching it at home, yeah. given the circumstance, the wider circumstances of what was happening. You're winning a quadruple treble, but at the same time. As, as we're trying to go for the league, things aren't going quite so well. So it was quite a, it was a, it's quite a strange, yeah, game. I think. Yeah, it definitely was, but still an achievement to, to look back on. Yeah, yeah. Fondly, the, it was another cup and still stealing that quadruple treble, um, which no one else has, has done before. So, uh, never will do. Nope, nope, absolutely not. And hopefully this year we can, we can get another treble in the, in the bag as well. Um, but that moves us on, Paul, to um, an interview. We've got with, with Ross Wallace, who's a man that played in a, a couple of cup finals for Celtic as well. He's now working at Burnley as a youth development officer, a club that are flying at the moment in the Championship and probably could be coming up into the, the Premier League. And uh, yeah, last week he, he sat down with us to, to look back in his Celtic career with some amazing stories. The full interview is going to come out later on this week, so make sure you stay tuned for that. But for now, let's give you a little taster of Ross and, and his and him speaking about his time at Celtic. So that summer then, 2005, Gordon Strachan comes in as manager. What were your, your thoughts and your expectations when he was coming in? Was it kind of almost a clean slate for you, were you thinking? Yeah, it was. Um, it was chalk and cheese, really. You know, Gordon was more hands-on on the pitch, you no know, tactical. Uh, Obviously, I think Gary Pendry was there, took a bit of training, but a bit bit more hands-on on, on the training ground, on the tactics side of things. Um, to be fair, I think he involved me in some of the games, Gordon, so he, he must have seen something in me to keep me around the first-team squad. You know, I, I managed to get a few games. Um, I think he ended up, ended up playing at left-back, which was a bit different for me. I've never done that before. But I can see he's thinking of it. You know, we had so much of the ball, especially at home. 
know, you're playing left back, you end up playing as a left winger anyway because you've got so much of the ball. But um, obviously, at times when I did play left back, you know, with balls to the back post and just little little things uh, that I, obviously because I'd never played there before, but. You can see what he was thinking of just trying to get not me further forward uh, and up the pitch, but uh, one of them, I was was not too sure. But you know, you just got on with the job. You get told to do a job. When I mean, you've got asked to play for Celtic Football Club on in any position, you don't say anything. You just got on with the job and just do it. They're getting that opportunity. Yeah, is it right in that pre-season? In, in one of the first games that you ended up getting taken off after like 30 minutes or so because I imagine you must have been a bit worried at that point in time but then you're obviously going to play quite a lot of games so talk us through that. Yeah, I think Gordon laid the marker on us a, few, a couple of times. I think uh, I think we played some Austrian team away and we were having a stinker down the, on, down the left-hand side. I think they were getting in every time. Uh, one of those games where you just... It was a pre-season game, making excuses for it. But uh, yeah, hold us off after 30 minutes. I think it was me and Charlie. Was it Charlie Mulgrew? I'm not sure. Um, it was me and somebody else. We got hauled off after 30 minutes. And you can see the other lads, the younger lads, giggling and that, laughing. And you're try- trying to like hold a straight face. And Gordon's just ripping into you. But no, it was good. No, listen, it's good for you. And obviously, I managed to come back from that. No, I managed to get a few games that season as well. You're saying Gordon was ripping into you there, but you must have a. A classic Gordon Strachan story. It seems like anyone that played under him has has something to say say about him and what he was like in the changing rooms. No, Gordon was brilliant. No, it was really good with me. He was a you know, lively character. Uh, I think I remember one time. I think it was a European night where they flew over. Um, and obviously, I was rooming with, with Aiden. and we went for a little nap in the afternoon because usually you train at night at the stadium the night before. And, and me and Aidan late for the bus, I, I heard the door banging on the room, big marshes there laughing. And me and Aidan trying to get ready for training, thinking we're late for the bus. And big marshy going, no lads, we're just back from training. We had slept through training and everything. And I was just like, oh no. So there's me and Aidan all the way down to Gordon to apologise. And to be fair, he let us off lightly. I think he understood, but we just slept in. But that, that walk down the stairs in the hotel to go and, Say sorry to the manager as a young kid. Yeah, it wasn't very nice, but I blame Aiden. I was going to say that walk down to see him, everything must have been going through your head at that moment. Yeah, and, and, and Big Marshy as well, just absolutely howling, laughing at us, knowing the predicament we were in, having to walk down the stairs. Oh, no, I've had a stinker here. But, uh, no, so no, these things happen in your career, but you look back now and laugh. What were the differences between Gordon Strachan's team, would you say, and, and Martin O'Neill's? Because I imagine, obviously, I grew up watching both of those teams. There were sort of differences in the football and some of the players, but at the same time, Gordon continued that winning pattern because in that season we win a league and a league cup as well. I think the diff- I think Gordon, I think Gordon done it well. You know, I've, I've done a. F- Worked with a few managers where obviously you've got of some of Martin's players who were really attached to Martin and that squad. And sometimes as a manager, I think he had to sort of put his own stamp on it and bring his own players in. Um, I think he recognised that. Uh, and eventually, I think Big Sutty and that left. No, I think Tomo left. No, all these sort of 
the lads who were so successful under Martin, I think he recognises, you know, he needs to sort of put his own stamp in it and get his own players in. So you have to respect him for that. You know, he knew what he wanted and he went after it. And you know, Gordon got some success as well. And in terms of sort of standout moments in that season, again, what stands out? A few that come to mind. I remember the, the game Sean Maloney scores against uh, Rangers in the derby here in, in the Cup. Obviously, we go in and then we lift the League Cup final uh, that season against Dunfermline and you start in that game as well. I imagine that's maybe one of the highlights. Yeah, I think that was the Jimmy Johnston final as well where we had the number seven on the shorts and that. So no, that, that's another game. You know, you look back and pinch yourself. You no, know, we ended up winning. Uh, no, I think I think Roy Keane played that day as well. So, no, and he ended up. I think it was either that summer or the summer. I think it was that summer. He, he ended up getting the Sunderland job, and then that's when I moved to Sunderland. He, he took me down there, but no, just playing with Roy Keane, and and that was it. I ended up going to Sunderland, but that final, the Jimmy Johnson final. You know, wearing the number seven shorts and that, and and then winning the cup. You no, know, for him really, and. Uh, no, no, that occasion was brilliant as well. That was, it was an unbelievable experience. Roy Keane, you mentioned him there. Your first impressions when when he came into Celtic? Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a bit of a strange one actually because you obviously thought he'd have that connection with the older players, uh, but he never came right in. No, no, right in with the younger lads. I think he came into our group. I think like big Steve McManus, big John Kennedy. All the younger lads, ourselves, and used to drive to Barrafield and he used to jump in the car with us to go to Barrafield to go to training. You'd think you jump in with older, experienced lads, not the young lads. So, so you'd be there and you're no, in, the, in the Corsa and your little Volkswagen Polo and you've got Roy Keane sitting in the back. Uh, no, just those little pinch yourself moments. But he was brilliant with the young lads, always in the gym. No, obviously, you. The younger lads got up in the gym doing doing their sessions with Jim Henry at the time, and and Roy used to join in. Um, just a totally different character what you see on the on the TV. Did you ever see anyone get the the stare or the the glance from from Roy Keane at any point? Did he or was he quite calm when he speeded at Celtic? What was he like? I think he was quite calm. Yeah, he was obviously when I moved to Sunderland, I seen a few people get the wrath uh, Keane, but. Um, it said like I think he was quite subdued. He was quite laid back. I think he ended up picking up a calf injury or a hamstring. Uh, I don't think him and Gordon seen eye to eye, but I think as as I, I think he wanted to fulfil that. No, playing for Celtic because he obviously he, he was a Celtic man. I think his family were, were Celtic, were a Celtic family. So I, I think he wanted that experience of playing for the club. But in terms of like younger lads, when he came in, he was no, he was brilliant for us. He attached himself to us, which was kind of strange. You must have left a good impression on him because at the end of that season, uh, Celtic obviously won the league cup. We, we win the league, but then you then leave to to go to Sunderland and to to join Roy Keane as well. So just tell us a little bit about your decision behind leaving Celtic and joining Sunderland at that time and going to work with Roy Keane. Uh, well, well, that was it really. No, I had an opportunity to go on loan uh, in Scotland as well at a few teams. And then obviously I got the phone call with Sunderland and I knew it was a massive club because uh, my, my agent at the time was a big Sunderland fan. So obviously he was telling me and I knew Martin was a Sunderland fan as well. Uh, and, and obviously the chance to work with Roy Keane when he phones you up and you know, he's new, he's a new manager. 
it was just an exciting project that was that was building. Obviously, with Niall Quinn as well going in there, you, know, you knew they were going to sign some good players and, and we were going to have a go at getting to the Premier League, which we actually eventually did. But you, know, you couldn't have turned in that opportunity. Um, and that was it. And Obviously, first day when I went down to meet him in Sunderland to sign, uh, I walked in. And obviously, we've got this thing of Roy, obviously quite stern, straight-faced all the time, but he loved a laugh and a joke as well. He had that other side to him. And obviously, he walks in the, uh, the living room, asks if he wants a cup of tea, blah, blah, blah. And then, obviously, he's got a high chair sitting up there. And just trying to put me in the high chair. Just just little things like that, you know, just little one-liners, little jokes. Oh, he, he was brilliant. No, it just settles you right away. And obviously, went on to have a successful season that season. Yeah, in terms of your, your post-Celtic career, it's, it's been a, a brilliant career, Ross, in the Premier League and the Championship and only recently retired a, a couple of years ago as well. Uh, so many highlights. But when you compare sort of your time at Celtic with everything else in your career, where does that time at Celtic stack up? Oh, it's definitely up there. You know, it's, it's up there, Rob. Uh, I started there when I was 12, come through, got the opportunity to play with some brilliant players. I sort of just see it as like having a like a, an unbelievable apprenticeship, you know, like a, a good, uh, you know, start in your football career, uh, and and you no, know, and those sort of values that you've learned from all those all those players you've played with, that professionalism, desire, and hunger, you know, you just sort of just keep that that sort of starting block that you've had, and you just keep it through your career, you know, working with all these players and the staff that you worked with in the coaching. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, Ross, you've been brilliant with your time, but just to finish off on, any time we get a guest on the Celtic View podcast, we always finish in some quick-fire questions about the player's time at Celtic. So we'll, we'll fire through a, a few of them just now, if that's okay with you. Um, first of all, who was the best player at Celtic during your time, best technically? Henrik Larson by a mile. You know, Lubo was my, was my, my favourite, but Larson was, was top. Yeah, brilliant. And I we kind of mentioned this earlier on, but what player were, were you or sort of the rest of the younger boys just scared of the most? Scared of the most? Uh, I'd probably say Lenny was probably the one that drove everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I take it Lenny must be the answer because of a few things that might have happened. I mean, was he, was he always quite kind of on top of boys? Yeah, he just wouldn't let anything slide, any slackness. No, he was, uh, him and him and Lambo were sort of like captains at the time. They just wouldn't let anything slide, any slackness, which it should be, you know, there's that demand to win games every week. So they, they were on it. So any, when the younger lads have been a bit mischievous and cheeky, uh, they'd be straight down on top of you. This one kind of follows a similar pattern, but was it angriest you saw a player or a manager or a coach during your time at Celtic? The angriest. Um, probably, probably big Johan. Big Johan Mialbo, he was he was an angry man in training. You know, loved to win. Um, I remember him, Aidan caught him an elbow and young the old one time by accident and he was fuming. He was just looking, go every time maybe Aidan got the ball, he was after him trying to get him. Uh, but he was a bit of an angry man. A good, good, good experienced player, but he was an angry man. What was either the best 
prank you've seen or who would be the player that was, was most likely to play practical jokes? Uh, practical jokes. It wasn't really during that time, practical jokes. Uh, the obvious ones, Michael Gardine as a young kid used to do that. I've seen Bobo chase him around Selic Park a few times, hiding Bobo's trainers and stuff. Uh, he's picked on the wrong guy. Remember Bobo chasing him around the side of the pitch at Selic Park and he's trying to sprint away from him. Uh, so Michael Gardine was probably uh, the most cheekiest and he was up to all sorts. Why is he picking fights with Bobo? <laughs> exactly, that's, that's the question I was asking him as well. You picked the wrong guy there. And finally, Ross, um, less of a quick fire question, more of a kind of recap. When you look back at your time at Celtic, what's your kind of favourite memories that stand out and how do you look back on your time? Uh, fantastic experience, loved every second of it. Um, uh, go back to those cup finals at Hamden, the Jimmy Johnson final. Just getting an opportunity to put on the Celtic shirt. You know, people that give their right arm to do that and having the opportunity to play with the players that I actually got to play with and the managers I got to to work under uh, and all the coaching staff, you know, from when I became full-time at 16 right through to when I left. You know, it was just an unbelievable experience. It's a brilliant club. You know, it's, I watch every game, every Saturday, you know, on, uh, when I'm in the house. Uh, it's a club I follow religiously and... Uh, Oh, it's just a brilliant, brilliant experience, and I loved every second of it. Yeah, there we go, Ross Wallace. There, there's some, there's some really, really brilliant stories in there. He speaks so fondly about his time at Celtic. He said at the end that he's still a Celtic fan. He watches religiously week in, week out, and you know the amount of times he speaks to players that obviously he's Scottish born from from Dundee, but I don't think necessarily grew up as a Celtic fan. But then, as soon as you just become invested in the club, it just completely takes over you. Yeah, and I think he, I always think players like him, it was always the most difficult position, I thought, to, to break in as a, as a winger at Celtic. It always has been, and because of the, the way Celtic have always played, and, you know, we have this great history of, of some brilliant wingers. So the demands, even for the young players, you know, like him, Aidan McGeady, when he broke through, James Forrest, to, to just be the sort of next you know, one wonder wing man as it were. Um and eventually I mean he he was utilised quite often at the back as well as a you know as a as a left back. Um I think it was I think it was fifty appearances he ended up making for the club, but you know, obviously lived the dream. Yeah, because that's what we spoke about as well in the interview is the fact that he was trying to break in to Martin O'Neill's team at that time. He had so much competition for space for places. So he's a guy coming through the youth academy thinking, right, okay, the chances of actually getting, getting into this team are difficult enough. And then from the youth academy, you've got Aidan Higgede, Sean Maloney, Liam Millers, you know, all these different guys as well that you're competing against. And it's just like this unparalleled level of success for players in this position. It's so difficult to get in there. So to, to actually get in around all that competition, to, to play as many games as he did, and he went on and have a, had a brilliant career yeah, after it and yeah. probably had one of the best left foots in that English Championship for, for many years. So, so yeah, it was great to, to hear from him and, and definitely stay tuned for, for that episode later on this week because um, there's some, some great stories in there. Um, it moves us on, Paul, to the action for the, the women's team and the B team over the weekend. Um, we'll start off with the women's team on Sunday. A disappointing evening for them. 
going into the game against Glasgow City, three points behind them, who are their top of the league, knowing that if they win, they had a chance to go top. Unfortunately, failed to a one 0 defeat. That's it's going to it's probably going to hurt them, isn't it? After what was a, a really strong week prior to that. Yeah, and I think the you know it's a goalless first half, and I think we had the the majority of the play, the majority of the possession, and the, and the majority of the chances. But you know we've, we've spoke about this before. It's a it's a three horse race for the title um, between ourselves, Glasgow City, and Rangers, and we'd beaten Rangers the previous week. Um, it would have been you know to get that victory. There's still a long way to go, but I think when you are on top against you know the other the other really good teams in the league. I'm sure Fran Alonso will be looking to to press home that advantage in, in terms of actually trying to to take one or two of those chances that we created. Obviously, in the end, the Glasgow City got the goal midway through the second half and managed to to see it out. And you know they've kind of bounced back after having lost the league last season, and, and I think they're six points clear at the moment, so they're in a strong position. But I think all the three teams are still to play each other, so a lot can change in terms of the the league. Yeah, definitely. I mean. The women's team have Hibs away next Sunday, which is a one of the more difficult games in the league, but I'm sure it's one that they'll be looking at and thinking it's a great one to maybe try and bounce back on if you can get a victory in that. But as you said, in terms of looking for the positives, even in defeat, we've got a split this year in the women's league, just the exact same as we have in, in the Scottish Premiership as well. So there's still plenty of games to be played and against each other in terms of that top three so points will be dropped yeah but I, but I think and I'm sure they would have that, that's why the, the game against Rangers have been so important to win is that the games between the three the top three I think are absolutely key because they none of them really drop that many points against other teams just the odd one here or there so they would have the very worst they would have hoped to at least come away with a draw but you know they're just going to have to bounce back quickly mm. Um, for the B team, they were in action on Saturday away to Cowden Beath in the Lone League and they got an impressive 3-0 victory, a couple of goals from, from Brooks and one from Dawson as well. And yeah, they're sitting one point off the top of the table at the moment. There's only five games left in the Lone League as well. So they've got every opportunity of finishing top of the table this year. Yeah, and it's remarkable. I mean, I was looking at the table beforehand and it's, you know, you grow up and before the pyramid system was in, so teams like Cowdenbeath might always be in and around the bottom league, but they were always there. Suddenly they're in the lower reaches of the Lowland League. Um, but again, you're going through there and it's probably a tough venue, uh, not really among friends okay. uh, through there. But the, the team, you know, performed really well. I think it was good to see Adam Brooks getting a couple of goals. Um, you know, he's last season, I think he was our top goal scorer, but he's... It's been a kind of injury hit season this year, so you know he's obviously pleased to be back full fitness, but then scoring a couple of goals because he's really any time I've watched the B team playing and he's playing, he's always looked really lively up front. So that was really pleasing, and as you say, for us to be pushing right at the top of the table with a chance of finishing top of the league, obviously we don't then go into the playoffs in the pyramid system, but you know it's really encouraging for the team, and I think for the last few games it will give them a real incentive just to. Well, obviously, to try and win all five of those games. Yeah, 100%. percent be strange if they do finish top and then they don't actually get to kind of s- celebrate lifting a trophy and things because of the way that the Lowland League works at ourselves, Rangers and Hearts B, um, all the B team sides, that if you were to finish top, you obviously can't go into playoffs. And I don't even know if you get a trophy as well. If, if you, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think I think it might be part of it as well. So strange, but definitely something to aim for. And they've got 
coming old Colts on Friday night at home at the Excelsior Stadium, so you can kickstart your Celtic weekend by heading down to that one. I'm sure they'll appreciate your support, particularly with just five games left of what could be be pretty amazing, actually, if they, even if they don't finish top, because Dan and Stephen talk about it all the time, that but the performance is really over the results, but you know, even if the season retained right now and you're finishing a point off the top, it's, it's been a brilliant season for them, with not just in the Lowland League, but all of the games they've had, their games programme in, in Europe, playing against Premier League clubs in the Invitational Cup, um, playing in the, the domestic cups as well, they played them Furman and that was a, a narrow defeat. So it's just been a brilliant year for them, really, all round. Yeah, and I think you can see, obviously, the benefit of a second season in the Lowland League has helped. I think the UEFA Youth League participation definitely helped because you're playing a different standard. And I think when we finished that campaign, you could see the team kicking on. But I think also just the way you know, kind of that reorganisation of, of Stephen and Darren, not only just taking charge, but syncing up in terms of the first team, in terms of how they train and how they play, that, you know, as the season's progressed, seems to have kicked in as well. So there's, there's so many positives, you know, We've seen Rocco Vata and Boston uh, Loyal Law getting their first team debuts. There's other players training with the first team just now, because that's ultimately what uh, mm-hmm. Darren and Stephen are doing is, is developing players that you know should be making the step up to the first team. So I think it's been really, really encouraging season actually. Yeah, brilliant. Um, that leaves us, Paul, with our predictions game, um, where each week we pick seven fixtures we go up against each other and fans. I was really disappointed that I wasn't on last week because I was going to predict Liverpool to beat Man United 7-0 as well well you did the week before it was another <laughs> 7 wasn't it which just didn't quite come yeah, off but, uh, only 5 goals shot <laughs> but yeah in terms of a couple of weeks ago it was actually the fans that came out on top we got uh, 9 points out of the, the 7 games uh, obviously 3 points for a correct score um, so this week we've got another 7 games uh, we've got Ross Boyd on to Feature for the fans, um, you're still out on top, Paul. You'll like to hear on 64 points. I'm, I'm well behind in 50. The New Year has not been kind to me at all. <laughs> I thought this was going to, I was going to get a bit of a turnaround this year, but clearly not. Um, so let's start off then with our game on Wednesday night. The first team, Celtic against Hearts. Um, what's your thoughts? I'm going to go for three-one in that game. Okay. 3-1. Uh, Ross has went for 2-0 and I am going to go for 3-0 in that one. Um, we've got a couple other games in the, the Premiership, Scottish Premiership on that Wednesday night. We don't usually pick Rangers games on it, but I'm going to I'm going to take Hibs against Rangers um, because I think Hibs are going to get a result and I think it's going to be 2-1. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, uh, again, probably over the years, well... Tynecastle's maybe been a harder place for us to visit than Rangers, probably Easter Road mm-hmm. for, for whatever reason. And I think Hibs are in a good run of form now, actually. They've, since that 6-0 win over Aberdeen, they've kind of kicked on. And they're getting some players back from injury. I'm going to go for two each. Two each, OK. Ross has went for one all in that game. And then the other game on Wednesday night is Livingston against Dundee United. I mean, I think... I mean, generally, I would I would say Livingston will win that, maybe 2-0. I think Dundee United were maybe slightly unfortunate. The first half, I think they dominated Aberdeen. Mm. But maybe that's been one of the, and I think it's one of the gripes of the United fans that they didn't strengthen up front in the, the window. That's that's one of their problems. But I think away to Livingston are just a stuffy team. I'm 
2-0 for Livingston. 2-0. Ross is going for 2-1, Livy. I'm going to go for a 1-0 Dundee United win, just to shake things up a little bit. Livy have been a bit, I wouldn't say poor, because that's unfair, but their form of late hasn't been what it was earlier in the season, and even particularly at home, which you'd expect to be good as fortress there. Um, that leads us then on to the B-team game on Friday night at home to Cumbernauld Colts. I'm going to go for 4-0 to Celtic. 4-0, I like it. Ross has gone for 2-0 and I'm going to go for 3-0 that one as well. Um, then that leads us to the Scottish Cup this weekend and on Friday night as well, there's Inverness against Kilmarnock in the, the quarter-final. Yeah, it's an interesting quarter-final, so one of them is going to reach the semi-final. Air Falkirk is another, so one of them is going to reach the semi-final, which is remarkable for them as well. Um, Inverness, I think Inverness are going to win that, particularly since is, is, it, is it home? It's not They're at home, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to go for 2-1 for Inverness. Okay, Ross is going for 1-0 Inverness. I think Kelly are just going to edge it 2-1. Um, it's interesting because sometimes you're always kind of keeping up to date with the scores in the, in the championship and you see like, oh, Inverness has done well for a few weeks and then you'll check again and I think they got beat against Hamilton at home. Um, twice in the space of four days, you're like, right, what's happened there? And I then think they beat Air United at the weekend. But then they beat Air United at the weekend, yeah. Somerset Park, yeah. I mean, the championships just—it's a crazy league where everyone beats beats each other. So, not really got a clue. Really, actually, I think Inverness probably should be feeling confident because Kelly's away form this season has been terrible. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go for Kelly two-one. Um, there's two games left. Um, the first team on Saturday uh, away to Hearts. That's a tough one. Um, I'm going to go. I'm going to go three two for Celtic to set up a semi final against Wraith Rovers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that went over my head there for a second. Um, Ross has went for a two and win away to sorry for us away at Hearts, and I'm going to I'm going to go for the same as the last time four three Celtic. Greg Taylor just going to win it again. <laughs> Why not? I don't actually know if my heart would be able to take it if that happens again. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll get an our kind of VR uh, controversy on Saturday as well, like we did the last time. Uh, and then that finishes off on Sunday uh, with this, the women's team away to Hibs. I think they're going to bounce back strongly. I think they're mm-hmm. going to win 4-1. 4-1. Uh, I'm going to go for 3-0 in, in that one. And Ross has went for 2-0 for Celtic as well. Um, yeah, I think, they'll, I think they'll bounce back strongly as well. But yeah, that, that rounds everything off, Paul, for, for this week's podcast. Um, yeah, make sure that... You do like and subscribe on all the podcast channels because we are on everything now. Um, so yeah, make sure make sure you do that and stay tuned later on this week for the interview with Ross Wallace. It's a really interesting chat uh, with the former player. But for now, thank you very much for listening, Paul. Thank you very much for joining us again, and do make sure you join us again next week. Where hopefully we've got plenty more Celtic wins to talk about. Cheers.